Hi, I'm Keith Hazendeem. And I'm Sarah Shepard. And this is Is Dungeons and Documentation. A podcast in which we explore information architecture through the lens of Dungeons and Dragons. In this episode, we'll be talking with Sarah Shepard, my co-host, about the latch system. A system that uses five methods of organization to organize all the information in the world. So stick with us. All right, folks, welcome to Dungeons and Documentation. Today, I, Keith Hazendeem, one of your stalwart co-hosts, is interviewing Sarah Shepard, your other stalwart co-host, about the latch system. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm a big fan. (laughs) Me too. Me too. So tell me about the latch system. The latch system was uh, created back in 1989 by this man named Richard Saul Werman. Do you know him? His name was not Richard Latch. No, it was not. And you might not know his name, but you definitely know what he's done because uh, among other things, he wrote nearly 100 books. He also created the TED and TEDx conference series. So he was an author. He was an architect. He was a speaker. He was a graphic designer. And in 1989, he wrote this book called Information Anxiety. Uh, the whole idea is that, that there's so much information happening, you know, computers were coming onto the scene, there's too much to deal with, what are we going to do? And in that book, he not only coined the term information architect, he created the latch system. And the idea behind the latch system is that information might be infinite, but the way that we can organize information is not, it is finite. In fact, he believed there are actually only five ways to organize everything in the world. Would I be taking a leap to assume that one of them begins with an L, one an A, yes. one a T, one a C, and one an H? You are correct. Okay, all right. The now, system, now I'm getting it. All right. All right. It's an acronym. Okay. So the latch system represents his opinion. There's only five ways to organize everything. Latch. Let's go through it. L, location. Location. All right. Organizing information based on space. So a map, for example. Okay. Or like organizing your photos in your uh, iPhoto library by where they were taken. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. By right. the location. All right. A, alphabetical. Alphabet. Classic. Mm-hmm. Everyone's yeah. favorite. Yeah. Uh, it's less natural than his other methods, right? Because it's it's based on alphabetizing. So you might get some strange results if you were to go to your fridge and organize by the alphabet versus versus the next one. I want to give it away. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. and if you're organizing your iTunes library, do you use the T and the as T oh, or do you skip wow. the yeah. V? See, I mean, that's, that's the problem. You're getting into the nitty gritty of information architecture <laughs> sure. debate yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. So we have location, we have alphabet. T is for time. So that's organizing information sequentially. We see this with timetables, schedules, cooking directions, Anything to do with time. Sure, yeah. The fourth one, (laughs) C, is category. Category, we've all done it. That's uh, sorting by groups, right? So you assign, here's the vegetables, here's the fruit. That's another point of debate, right? Where Where do the tomatoes go? Sure, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that when you go to apply any of these systems, you actually end up creating a discussion of like, what do we mean when we say time what do we mean when we say category right so you kind of have to explore and then the final one h is hierarchy so that's like tallest to shortest most expensive to least expensive youngest to oldest anything like that all right so let me get this straight we've got location Mm -hmm. we've got alphabetical we've got time we've got category and we've got hierarchy 
Hierarchy. Yep. Very good. Well, that leads me to the next and possibly the most important question of this entire interview. Do you keep your tomatoes in the fridge or on the counter? I don't put them in the fridge because I've heard that that takes all the flavor out. Ah, yeah. I heard that too. Uh, But then they ripen too fast on the counter. Yeah. Well, that's that's just the way it is. I I didn't. All right. So Richard Latch brought us this system. No, Richard Werman. (laughs) Oh, right. That's right. Richard Werman brought us this system. Failed to change his name to Latch. And um, what are the implications of this system? What are we... I mean, I feel like it's describing something that that makes sense. Yeah. But what's the point of describing it? Okay, so the point that Werman was trying to get at when he talked about information overwhelm was that the way we choose to structure information is actually going to affect the way that it's perceived and experienced. So if you are an information architect, which all of us are in some way, we're all delivering something to the world. Sure. That's the very premise of this show. Exactly. You should be thoughtful in considering how you want to present that information and what's the end experience. So yeah, you could give someone directions to your house alphabetically if you hate that person (laughs) and want them to have a terrible experience, right? Like that would be the intent. You actually can combine which we often see right sure we'll see categories in a record store followed by alphabetical so combining methods of the latch system is often done of course and it actually creates a better experience so then it's up to you to determine the hierarchy of the systems that you're going to be implementing so do we want to have our bookshelves organized by color because we want to have it pretty and never be able to find the books or do we want to have it to be alphabetical and then maybe color comes in after the alphabet's been established and the A's can be color-coded? And yeah. I feel like that wouldn't look very good on, uh, on Instagram. No, though. it wouldn't. I guess I'm curious, like, had, was Richard the first person to think of organizing something in terms of, um, you know, alphabetizing it or, you know, organizing it by category or whatever? Like, did he formalize this system based on what he saw or i mean what what exactly was his goal here so he was observing throughout history how people organize things and then trying to distill that into methods that would continue into what he saw as the digital future because back in 1989 it's like whoa okay we're not actually going to see all these objects anymore so having a system established is going to make our lives a little more easier because people were already feeling like there was just too much going on sure in the world I mean, I got to say, I find it a little comforting that I, um, you know, am am uh, adhering to this this structure of information architecture without even knowing that it's a structure of information architecture. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, most of us are adhering to it. We just don't take the next step to ask ourselves: Is the system that I've put in place actually? optimal for the experience I want to have. So you might organize your clothing by color. But if you take a step back and realize like, actually, I should probably organize it by how often I wear these items. Mm -hmm. And then within that seasonal applicability. Sure. And then you might arrive at a category that's like all seasons, most popular. That goes in the front of your closet. But we fall into a habit of not evaluating what we're doing, right? Like I have a sister-in-law, she comes to my house and she reorganizes my fridge every time because I don't think intentionally about what I'm doing in my fridge, but she does. Like she comes in and she has a system and And I don't... And she fixes it. Yeah, we can interview her actually. Yeah, so the question is, do you, after she's fixed your fridge, 
is it easier to find things in your fridge or do you have no idea where to find anything because her system and your system are completely different? No, it's good. It, I just wish you would tell me what her system was because I can't continue to implement it. If uh, I had like I a see. worksheet I could put on the front of my fridge and make sure everybody signs off if they're putting anything is in or out, you know, initial here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's another, that's where systems fall apart. So this we is, don't have documentation right. about how you're supposed to put the eggs in. They're going to end up on one of three racks. So this is where Richard comes into play, where he would take the system that your sister-in-law has for organizing your fridge, and he would formalize it, describing it, essentially, not necessarily reinventing the system, but just formalizing the system so that you can then continue to... to um, follow that system exactly yeah. and now you know most of us who work in a job will understand that as process right like sure. here is the process we've all agreed to uh that you have to adhere to so that our big system which is the organization can continue effectively well great i mean this is a great place to start with for this podcast because i feel like um you know as we look at people's especially if we as we look at sort of informal information architecture structures um this gives us a little bit of a basis for understanding and formalizing that so that we can then convert it into a Dungeons and Dragons tool. Yeah. I mean, I think it's revolutionary. Can yeah. we just jump into the second half? Yeah. Yeah, sure. We can go right for it. Okay. So have you ever played a pre-made adventure? And I mean, not played. Have you ever run as a dungeon master, a pre-written adventure of any length, whether it's a whole book or just like a, something you've gotten online? I haven't run a full campaign. I've run one-off adventures, um, some of which have just been, you know, like I've got five people around who want to play D&D and we want to play for a day. And some of which I've incorporated into other okay. campaigns. And do you remember how that was structured within the latch system? Generally speaking. Uh, generally speaking, time. Time and location, right? Like Time and location. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Like, I think we are seeing more uh, more time these days, like into the Feywild. That's mm -hmm. time-based. But before that, like it was 100% almost location-based. Mm -hmm. You have your room number, like mm -hmm. L10. You've got your map. And then you've got your description for that room number. Sure. And that's the standard that so many people have followed within Dungeons and Dragons, like the official stuff, but also online if you go and see people's pre-written adventures that they're sharing. Sure, and that's what I do for my own adventure if I'm drawing a map and I want to I mean if I'm if I'm making a dungeon and I want to um you know itemize what's in that, I always go by location. Yeah. I, I give each number a room a number and make my notes on it. And I don't think that that's necessarily bad, but I do feel like having played Dungeons and Dragons for a while now, it creates that sort of like a da 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 feeling mm -hmm. like what's the next room? Okay, we're going to the next room. Mm -hmm. What's the next room? Mm -hmm. Right? And so that's like someone has just chosen the L. They're only doing location. And now, like you mentioned, sometimes it is time. So now we're seeing this other la layer you could add into your games. Sure. Which is like, okay, independent of the location at some point an event will happen mm -hmm. and that's going to add this layer of like realism sure so we can see that when we start to combine methods of organizing our campaign it creates it it creates a better experience right sure like, yeah for instance you know yeah it just pops to mind like if you are delving into a goblin fortress and you find two goblins in the front room and you have a big battle with them what about the goblins you know three rooms back yeah. yeah. Like they're not just going to sit around 
while they like hear this pitched battle going on in their front room, they're going to pop out and do something about it. Yeah. yeah. And how long will it take them to get there? And do mm-hmm. they have like a secret passageway? And then you can right. expand your map because of that. Sure. Yeah. Or like, you know, I like to think of like a steam vent on the ground and every 10 minutes it's like releasing this burning steam from uh-huh. the underground smelter, things like that. So it's like, okay, regardless of when they enter the room, this is sort of happening in the background. Sure. Yeah. Or like the tide's coming up. They're going to run, they're going to get trapped in the cave. It's high tide. Of course, the tricky thing with that is that every group that I've ever played with spends twice as much time sitting around and talking about what they should do next as actually walking through the dungeon. Yeah, I feel like this <laughs> doing is, the next thing. that's a subject for another episode too, is like, sure. how do you track time within a and d campaign? Because of course, like, yeah, okay, I have a tide table yeah. and my, like, we just spent 20 minutes eating pizza and yelling at somebody. Right. But, <laughs> Yeah. Does that mean it's high tide now? Yeah. Uh, probably not. Uh, so you're proposing then that you would organize, and, and you're speaking specifically about a dungeon here, not necessarily like a larger campaign. Well, it could also be a larger campaign because even when I've done a home brew, I mm-hmm. still default to location. I'm like, okay, when they get to this island I've made up, mm-hmm. then the event will be triggered. Sure. It's triggered by the location. Um, but I think... I'm not really proposing that that's wrong. I'm just proposing that if we can think about doing it a different way, it can actually spur our creativity. It can make unexpected things for our party. Mm -hmm. It can kind of create a different experience. And I would argue that actually the experience of playing a game that's organized like hierarchically Mm -hmm. would feel different than this dungeon crawl feeling that we're all very familiar with. So what would that look like then? Like, okay, if it was a dungeon that's mm-hmm. organized by hierarchy, like what if the first room's like a ballroom and the final room, however many rooms later, is like it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It's organized by size. The final room is the size of a Rubik's Cube. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the party has to like, do they have a shrinking potion? Maybe they like turn into a mouse and go into the room. It just like creates another challenge that you would never think of, right? Like, yeah. Like, how would I organize an island by category? Oh, uh-huh. a druid's come in and they've like moved all the plants. So it's poisonous and non poisonous on one side. What side does the party land on? Oh, right? yeah, like, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Or alphabet. Uh-huh. Like, I had this idea of you get, you give your players a curse. Maybe a librarian's really mad at them. And they have to cast their spells in alphabetical order. Uh huh. That's hilarious. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Um, so, what do we want to do for this episode? Do we want to try and build like an adventure that's um, categorized hierarchically and just sort of see what that would be like in an, in an entire yeah, that'd be adventure? fun. Yeah. yeah, or alphabet. <laughs> alphabet. I could like when I was I made a download on this episode page. It walks you through the latch system with some prompts. But alphabet was the one I had the hardest time thinking of examples. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would love to do alphabet or category or hierarchy. So choose one of those. You we can actually do two. Right? Yeah, so we could start at the big one and then and involve a second one. Yeah, alphabet is. I've actually been working with an alphabetical categorization a little bit. I hadn't really thought of it before, um, just now, but. I've been trying to build campaigns in connected text, which is just a wiki style um, piece of software. So you just you essentially build your own wiki, um, and you you know can link from one page to another, just like any you know wiki that you find online. But when when you try and pull up the index to actually like find something, it's all alphabetical. That's something that I've been f- sort of frustrated with 
originally, but have gotten more used to the more that I've been using it. Okay. And do you find that when you suddenly view your stuff alphabetically after like a break, you're like, oh, I forgot I made this NPC and maybe I can work her in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've also been building it. I've been building everything that I'm, you know, every adventure that I've written since I started using it, I've just written in the same wiki. So I sent, so I have you know, every, every NPC from every, you know, piece of every campaign that I've, that I've written, which I haven't been using that long. So it hasn't been, it's not a huge list yet, but, um, it's all just in this big categorization list, alphabetical. And definitely there are some, some NPCs. It's like, this was the wench in the, in the bar or whatever that, uh, uh, that they didn't actually pay any attention to and just completely walked by. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but now I can, you know, maybe pull her out and use her in some other yeah. piece. And I've already written her. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. So let's pretend that we have, um, maybe you already have an idea for a campaign. You could throw it in. And our main method is alphabet. Mm-hmm. And then we can have a sub method, which could be hierarchy. I think okay. that'd be fun. And it can even just be an encounter if we don't want to do a whole campaign. Sure. Like I'm immediately thinking of a gladiator style fight. Okay. So it's a format we've all experienced. Yeah, you fight the weakest guy first, and then you go up to the strongest guy. Is that what you think? Yeah, or like the bo- the the bad boss. You know, like uh, that the beholder underwater deep. He has a gladiator part of his dungeon, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like a trope. Mm-hmm. We expect to be fighting maybe a couple rounds, mm-hmm. um, but it's an alphabetical, alphabetically organized gladiator encounter. Sure. <laughs> right. So you fight the bee beholder first before you fight the G-goblins. Yeah, or like the seating. You know, people think they purchased the best seats because it's A, but actually A is the back row um, because this person's done it reverse alphabet. So Z is the front. And then some nobles are really mad when they realize that they're sitting in A1. Yeah. (laughs) This is just like the... So like, you know, when I'm thinking of a campaign and I'm feeling stuck, it's interesting to use the latch system to like turn an an idea upside down. Sure. And sometimes it's like making the worst encounter possible yeah. through this brainstorm will result in a better encounter. Right. <laughs> you don't have to talk about the stadium seating. Yeah. But it's funny. I don't know. Like yeah. that stuff is funny to me. It's like, yeah. oh, they're really mad that the Lord changed the way he reversed the alphabet and now the nobles are in the nosebleed section. Mm-hmm. That's like pretty to, good. We could talk about the monsters though. You know, a, that's kind of expected though. A, uh, what's an A monster? <laughs> Shoot, we, uh, need, we need like copies of the books in front of us. Yeah, I mean, if I had my if I had my uh, monsters manual in front of me, I could just turn to page one because it is, after all, alphabetical. alphabetical. Okay, and that I think is problematic. <laughs> I wish the monsters manual was category. Actually, isn't it? Category? It is category. Yeah. It's alphabetical with uh, subcategorization. For instance, every giant is under G. G. Okay, for giant. That makes sense. Same with dragons. Every dragon yeah, is under okay. D. All right, I take back what I said. Yeah, it's a fine system. <laughs> It's not so fine for like, I guess you could randomly turn to a page and be like, oh, okay, they're going to fight this. Although it would be interesting, I mean, especially from a dungeon master's viewpoint, trying to build the campaign to just have a, have your um, monsters listed by say challenge rating. So you could just go through and, you know, actually read through, I think it is listed in the book. Um, by challenge rating somewhere you can go through, there's an index of challenge rating. Yeah, I think that's in the dungeon master's guide. Um, but it's kind of hard because you look at it and then you have to flip back and but yeah from a from a from a adventure building standpoint in terms of nuts and bolts you know do i want to kill my players the first room they step into um it would be more useful to have that lined out by challenge rating 
Um, totally, although yeah. then once you've built your campaign and you're trying to reference your monsters, it's a lot nicer to have them alphabetized. So yeah, maybe even just reworking um, monsters manual into like a digital library so that you can switch categories would be, or switch from category to alphabetized to yeah, and hierarchical. I, you could do large to small <laughs> monsters. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like that's the reason why these online tools are out there that yeah. are like plan an encounter by challenge level. And of course they're limited by what they can have, but it would be great to say, okay, I want challenge rating one fourth. I want the category to be swamp and I want one big monster. And I think actually right. that does exist. I'm out sure there, it probably yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. I've just never had the, haven't had the inclination to go look for it because I'd never thought about the latch system before. This is great. Okay. Can I, I'm going to throw a challenge at you and right. see what you come back at. Okay. So we have a typical go in and kill the vampire. That's sure. your, that's your hook. Okay. And now, uh, apply one of the latch. You want me to give you one? Or you want to pick one? To killing a vampire? Yeah. And how would you change, how would that encounter change because of how you've chosen to organize it? We've done alphabet. So how about, um, hierarchy? Okay. Well, so you could go, I mean, you could go hierarchical in terms of the challenges you face, which is a pretty standard setup, although you could as you mentioned earlier, you could flip it around, right? So yeah, maybe the vampire opens the door. Yeah, the ah! vampire opens the door. Now you have to kill And you me. fight him and then you fight the boss vampire and then his his little buddy vampires show up and you have to fight them and then a big swarm of thralls shows up and you got to fight them in order to get out of the uh, mansion. Mm-hmm. I'm actually imagining like a hierarchical display of coffins, like big, smaller, smallest. <laughs> and it's so cute. It's like Goldilocks. That they just like pop open yeah. as you beat the, uh-huh. the the previous ones. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about that is, uh, right, normally you're saving, especially if you're a caster. Well, I mean, if you're any, any class, you save your abilities for the mm-hmm. big boss. So if you fight the big boss first and you dump out all your spell slots, then next thing you know you've got 20 thralls coming at you um or your players what are you gonna do <laughs> yeah and your players are so used to the idea of like okay the big boss is at the end yeah sure so when the vampire opens the door they're like well this must not be the real vampire this right. must be like a guy in the costume yeah <laughs> so that's like an added level of surprise is right. that you flipped the hierarchy right or surely we're not supposed to fight this guy right now because yeah. why would you start with fighting the big boss yeah and they end so up maybe trying to he'll talk be friendly him, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they die and then they die Right, time like, is tricky. I feel like there's something in the vampire. I don't think time is tricky. In fact, I think it's easiest to, because time, you know, when you're organizing a D&D campaign, time, you can just equate to levels, right? Yeah, I guess. But like, what if you want to say, okay, the this dragon's going to lay her eggs at the next new moon. So you need to be at the, the layer by that time. Mm-hmm. And I've done that stuff before in my homebrew. And then I'm back to that problem you were talking about before, which is how do you track time? When your player when your players are just, are just dicking, like dicking around, around yeah. they're, they're <laughs> shopping for I don't know. Okay, you spend five days mm-hmm. haggling for the best price of right. this potion. Right. Well, I mean the classic the new moon happened. The, I mean. Right. The classic <laughs> method, right, is to just make the new moon happen whenever it makes the most sense for it to happen. Yeah, and I guess like. If you want, if the goal of organizing by time is to create an impetus to not have a shopping episode, mm-hmm. then you would use that to say, oh, you look up into the night sky and notice that it's a waxing crescent. You have only but three days to reach the dragon's lair. Sure. Yeah. There's no time for shopping. Right. 
Uh, for anyone that's confused by what a shopping episode is, that's how our group tends to refer to those two-hour sessions where you just sit around looking for items and shops and haggling with people. I want a new pet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's useful. But also, if you don't stick to the timeline, then you can make the thing happen in a more impactful way, right? For example, I just ran an adventure where I had... Um, the party was um, exploring a mansion, which was the first floor was abandoned, but there was an occult ritual going on in the basement where they were summoning a demon. Well, it's most exciting if the demon gets summoned when they walk into the room where they're summoning the demon, mm -hmm. right? It's it's less exciting if the demon gets summoned while they're upstairs or they're not quite done summoning the demon yet and they just kill all the <laughs> cultists. You know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, but then I was I'm like, well, how long have they been summoning for? Because we were on the first floor for like eight hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's that. But okay, I guess I'm going to take a step back. When we talked about the latch system, the idea is you think about intent before you choose your system. Sure. So the intent is I don't want my players dicking around. I'm choosing time. And mm -hmm. that's going to structure how I present the information. So sure. you, I enter the first level of the abandoned mansion. Oh, you hear distant chanting, right? Like, so you're adding in these flavors that are time-based to mm -hmm. keep them, the clocks ticking. The sun is beginning to drop below the hills. Darkness is coming over. Okay, so it's fun to like think about oh, if I alphabetize this encounter, I have different ideas. But also, it's interesting to know hey, what's the intent of this encounter anyway? Like, why sure. am I including the abandoned floor instead of just dropping them right into the summoning chamber? Yeah. If there's no risk or perceived risk that you won't get there in time, right? Right, right. I mean, mostly it was to make it more creepy. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, yeah it's creepy. So <laughs> yeah. you add this creepiness factor. Right. They don't want to rush to the basement because they don't know what's in this floor. And yeah. yet you've added this texture of like, you better get down to that basement because they're summoning a demon. Sure. Well, they also, didn't, they also didn't know that there was a demon being summoned in the basement. So <sighs> Well, you didn't organize it by time. So it's fine. You're, I'm not... I'm well, not, yeah, no, yeah. It, right. In that, in that example, I actually organized it by location, right? They didn't... The demon doesn't get summoned until they get to the basement. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But it's interesting, like, even as I'm thinking about it, you add a level of tension for your players when you mix these two. So you've got this unusual location mm -hmm. with the creepiness mm -hmm. and the tension of feeling like they need to get down and disrupt a ritual. Sure. Creates the player tension of like, oh, God, I, you go first. Right. right? It's like the haunted house. <laughs> yeah. like, well, and you could... Um... I could have thrown in more time elements, right? Like I could have had set... Well, and in that particular instance, they had chose to run away from some guards that were at the front gate of this mansion rather than fighting them. They were moving through the top half of the house in initiative. So it could have been very easy to add a time element of like noises coming from the basement or something like that. And and the, the longer they're spending looking around, right, the more sort of... Um, ominous things are coming up yeah. from underneath them yeah it would be interesting so this is where the overwhelm starts for me mm -hmm. you're managing initiative mm -hmm. you're managing the guards mm -hmm. how do you even remember to put in that the right the flavoring it's like yeah. i'm almost imagining there's a session planning sheet uh-huh 
that has like a time going down, right? Uh-huh. What are the time elements? And then across it could be, what are the categories? Sure. Yeah. And what's the alphabet? Like, you know, alphabet yeah. could be even what's the NPCs and your players. Because it's just too much to keep track of. You know, I, it, 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 this brings to mind an interesting idea. So I used to play um, poker with some friends from work. We'd play Texas Hold'em. And we do, you know, like a $5 buy-in and um, you get you know, a certain amount of chips and you play until everyone's out of chips, until mm-hmm. one person's yeah. won all the chips. I know how poker works. Sure. Well. <laughs> uh, we use these things called chips. The thi- <laughs> well, but the thing that we did, that this group did so that it wasn't just like one game that wound up with only two people playing for two hours at the end of it is we set a timer. So every 15 minutes, the the buy-in, the ante would go up. It would, it would double, right? So the game gets higher stakes as you go, and that sort of creates a pressure to just finish the game. Yeah, and how did that feel as a player? Um, I mean, as a player, I wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> it felt bad. It felt bad for you to lose the money. Um, but, but uh, you know, when I lost all my money in the first five minutes of the game, it meant that I got to play again in an hour or so. You know, yeah. you hang out and shoot the shit with people um, for a little bit until, you know, you can start playing again because, like, the game has, has progressed. Um, it also, like, it, it incentivizes you to um, play more aggressively. Yeah, I almost, like, I played D&D once with nine players it Mm -hmm. took an hour to get back to me Mm -hmm. during the combat yeah i almost want to have a timer like a one minute timer right like because it's supposed to be six seconds during combat yeah this is what you do you better fucking know what you're gonna do yeah yeah just sitting around (laughs) oh i don't know what spells do i have left (laughs) oh jeez hold on i don't think i want to use my third level slot (laughs) just hurry up yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, actually, I feel like it's in the Dungeon Master's Guide. They have this little note from Chris Perkins. It's like, just just throw some dice. Yeah. If your party's dicking around, just throw just some dice because they're going to get worried. Like, yeah. why are you throwing? And so it's like, yeah, you're rolling dice. Maybe you have a timer. Yeah. Move it along. Yeah. Shout out to Chris Perkins. That's a great idea. I like that. Because of his brain. Dungeons and Documentation is a production of Keith and Sarah's Free Time. Our theme song is by Ian Post. This episode produced by Pebbles Qualtair and Oslo Cobblepot. Underwriting provided by Shepherd Creative Enterprises, LLC. This episode was produced in the crypt of the Smiling Lich. For more information and show notes, visit dungeonsanddocumentation.com or dungeondocs.com. This episode of Dungeons and Documentation is brought to you by the Eugene Public Library. I've been told, and I'm hoping it is true, that they have a very forgiving, fine program. This episode was also brought to you by the Penny Arcade Expo Speaker Selection Committee. Did you get the bribe we sent you yet? We're also sponsored in part by DM Tools, available at dm-tools.dev. What has your NPC gotten its pockets as precious? DM Tools can help you find out. Thank you.